Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 61 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Philadelphia, Replacement Theology. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. We do welcome everyone here this morning. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And we've been looking at this from a revelatory perspective to see what's going on. And it's also to bring the Word of God into a, a reality, into our relationship with the kingdom of God. And it is, it's, it's amazing how Christianity is ignited by faith even though for some reason we think it will be ignited by evidence. But faith is the hope. And it's a substance of things that are hoped for. But it's evidence of things not seen. So which comes first in Christianity, the chicken or the egg? Well, it's the faith. Faith comes first. Then the evidence comes later. And the world cannot accept that. That's not the way that a scientific mind works. Or a mind that works out of reason. It wants evidence. Then it wants to compile the evidence to perhaps give you a good quality guess to what the truth is. But in Christianity, and if you're going to run with God, God starts with the truth. Can you hear that? He starts with the truth. He's not trying to discover the truth. He starts with the truth, and then we apply it to our lives and to the daily lives. And Christianity, I see how, and me included, how even subconsciously it seems as though we're wanting God to give us a little more evidence on why that that we're having faith in is true. And it's amazing how we, I guess we're just made that way, aren't we? And uh, let's not forget that faith is a, um, I'll not get into it too much today, but faith is that key that Jesus holds to his kingdom. Faith is the key that unlocks the kingdom. So now let's move with that little thought. As we move forward, I want to cover perhaps a lot of information today. And if you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. This was given to me last week or two. Somebody gave it to me here. Trying to help me, I think, and it worked. I can't explain it to you, but I cannot comprehend it for you. I think they were trying to give me peace, I guess. <laughs> and said, Alan, you just explain it, and it's up to us to comprehend it. So, uh, author unknown, but it, I can feel a little hint of the Holy Ghost in it, so we'll go from there. Now, as we're looking at these seven churches, and as we move today, I would like to move fairly fast. And we're looking at these seven churches so we can see how is it that we're to behave in 20, uh, 23, the year that we're living, how do we behave? What will church look like? 
And there again, you have to remember the amazing part about the Word of God. You can place it and put it in any generation and it reads the same. Can you hear me? It reads the same. Application is the same. So we see these seven churches and we started viewing them to see what the church would look like today. As you can see up there, we're on Philadelphia. And we also, I've pointed out briefly, not in depth, but how that the seven churches also covers a prophetically a period of time in the last 2,000 years. And so we can look there, you can look underneath uh, uh, at the time periods, but we're in Philadelphia now, and it's at what we call the prophetic awakening. And it started more or less in 1798, and it will continue into to the end. And I want to look at that prophetic uh, awakening just a little through the church of Philadelphia today. It has its pluses and it has its minuses, just like each uh, church has. It's got its pluses and it's got its minuses. It's got its strengths and it's got its weaknesses. And I want us to look uh, at that perhaps a little bit today as we view this church of Philadelphia. Then the next church will be the church of Laodicea. Now in this scripture, which we started last week, uh, I want us to start here. And we started, uh, we touched a little bit, he who has uh, the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. You see that? Um as we look at this key of David, I talked last week a little bit, and like I, I don't have the revelation, full revelation of this key. My progress this week was that faith is the beginning of the key of David. It's the faith that starts unlocking it, and we'll get into that perhaps a little more. But in Isaiah, it says this, And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit the government into his hands, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And the keys of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and shut. None shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. So that's, a, that's an interesting statement. Because how do we apply these open doors? And we got in a little bit of that last week. Now in Matthew it says this, And I say also unto thee, uh, that thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So we can start seeing again that the keys of the kingdom of heaven, these keys uh, are important. Have you ever lost your car keys? Are they important? They are if you want to go anywhere. And I got a feeling the keys of the kingdom are the same way. I think we're trying to move without them. And we need them. And the Holy Ghost is saying, gentlemen, start your engines. Ready to run here with the kingdom. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom and of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now it's interesting here. It gives us this idea here that he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. But here it goes on and says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, there's a, uh, a lot of, um, today there is some groups that are called ascension groups. And these are people who believe they can be called up into the third heaven. And uh, I think uh, 
Well, I don't have to think, do I? So I don't get myself in trouble. So here we see that uh, we do have keys that open up heaven. And, uh, and boy, am I tempted. But yes, Lord, we shall proceed. Okay. Now in Revelation, we're going back to this then. The, the, the one that has these keys and he opens and shuts. And then he goes on to say, I know your works. See, I have set before you what? An open door. So here we see that, that he's telling them that you have an open door. He, said, he says, I've got the keys to open and shut. But here he's making a proclamation, you have an open door. He's opened it and he says, I've said it. So here this church discovers it. It has an open door. And no one can shut it. Now that's interesting. He's got those keys to open and shut, and, but he's telling this church, okay, you've got an open door. And he's also saying nobody can shut it. So that tells me something about the church today. I don't care how wrong we do church. Jesus is the one that opens and shuts our opportunities of the gospel. We need to remember that. And I'll show you why there's a great truth behind that. Now, in John 10, 7 through 9, it says this, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep shall not uh, hear them. I am the door, and by me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. So here we're seeing that Jesus is calling himself this door. Jesus is saying that he opens and shuts doors. And he's telling the Philadelphia door, I have opened a door for you. And, and he says, no man can shut it. Now, if you can hear what I'm saying, he's speaking to the churches. No man's behavior, I don't care how many trans people you put in a pulpit. No man's behavior can shut the door of the gospel being used in the church house. You say, well, Alan, that's blasphemy. Yes, it is. I mean, I, I mean, I've got all the reasons why. Well, God's not going to use that crowd. Listen, it's not been because of the crowd to start with. It's not because you did it real well. Can you hear me? Now, there again, this is not, if you're focusing on a, failed church right now, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I'm bragging on Jesus. I'm not bragging on the failure of humanity. If it was left up to us, the church had already been destroyed. And it, just because you're right with God today doesn't mean you've always been right with God. It sometimes you destroyed the church, just like Paul when he was called Saul. We've all destroyed the church at some time in our life. There might be a few that haven't, but there's not many. Now, so go, go with me here just a little bit. So we see Jesus says he's this door. Colossians 4, 3, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So here Paul starts saying that he's going to pray that God would open a door so that he can speak what? The mystery of Christ. 
Not only is he saying Christ, but he's saying the mystery of Christ. He didn't say, so I can preach Christ. He said, so I can preach the mystery of Christ. So there's something about this Christ that Paul was preaching that was a mystery. Keep that in mind. So he's, not only did Jesus open a door for the Philadelphia church, but the Apostle Paul came along and says, I'm praying that he'll open a door. So we see that we just don't sit back and necessarily wait for an open door. We see by Paul, it's okay to pray for one. Are you with me? All right. Goes in Genesis 7, 16. And they that went in, went in male and female, and all the flesh as God had commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. <clears throat> That's of course, is a reference to the ark, Noah's ark. And that God shut the door. Can you hear that? Now, we know that today that that was a symbol of Christ. Christ today is the ark. We enter into Christ, a relationship with Him. Can you hear that? And so we says that gets into another theological doctrine of, of uh, eternal security. Some believe in it and some don't. I talked to a person here just a lot two weeks ago and they asked me how I believe. And I said, well, I'm persuaded that I believe in eternal security. And this person told me, he said, Alan, that doesn't work for me. I said, well, tell me why. He said, it just helps me walk the Christian life if I can lose it. Now, that might sound strange, but I understood what this lady was meaning. She says, I don't quite want to be persuaded of that. And I know if you believe in eternal security, you can say, well, Alan, that's about that. Just, just calm down. Just, it's okay. It's okay. This person said, Alan, I do, it's okay for me to believe that I need to keep my relationship with Christ. That helps me. And she said, I've never tried to decide if it is eternal security or not. And, and as she was telling me, I knew what she was telling me is truth. This is odd, but I'm telling you what she was saying. I'm, I believe that the Holy Ghost, I believe it was true. And I didn't feel anything in me, which I don't have as much at 70 as I used to anyway. I don't have anything in me to persuade her different. And I'm going to tell you why. I believe in eternal security. And I'm trusting in Him that I'm right. Okay, now. Let's move on. <laughs> he who has the key of David, he goes on. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. <laughs> he goes on to say that. And Paul talked about doors open for ministry. Now, we have a lot of things about doors in, in our personal life. Do I need to get this job or that job? Or But the greatest use of these doors was for ministry. That, that was the idea of these scriptures. And Paul talked about the doors in 1 Corinthians. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So there's several things to see there. Number one, Paul was looking for doors. He had enough sense to know a door when he saw one. Now, as Christians, if you'll identify, you can... We, we do this, whether it's explained like this or not. You can like, oh, I can tell the Lord did something there. Or, or, or God, I, I think God opened this door for me, right? Yeah. Now, He might give you a new job. 
But your new job's about ministry. Uh-oh. You thought it was just so you'd make more money. No, not, not necessarily. Can we see open doors as God's opening a door so we'll put us strategically in a place we wouldn't have been in for ministry? That's the part we're leaving out of the open door message. It says this in 2 Corinthians. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now look at that other one. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, he went there to celebrate Pentecost, all right? And the next one, I came to Troas to preach the gospel, and while he was there, a door was opened to him by the Lord. Now, he didn't go to the door. He was there, and one opened. Because he was obedient to preach and ministry, the door was opened. So our behavior of obedience and walking with the Lord, you'll not walk any further with the Lord than the last door you walk through. Because the last door leads you into a room with another door. You can't skip a door. That's what Paul's saying here. And I'll tell you how you'll know if it's a door here in just a second. The door's open for Paul at an inconvenient time. How do you know that it's probably a door from God? Because you were there on other business. Right? You maybe walk through a door to get there to do a business, but then all of a sudden there's another door opens. So I've noticed in life that if it's at a very inconvenient time, it's definitely an open door. And you know what? When it's so inconvenient, I usually fail. I'm just being honest with you. You see, the most inconvenient times when I'm busy and I don't have time to talk to somebody or say something, or they're asking something trivial of me, and it gets on my, as Jeff Rowland says, his last nerve. <laughs> he must have more than one. That's when a door opens. And I, to this day, I mean, I missed one last week. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Alan, you're just, I can say it about myself. You're an idiot. What are you doing? Then after I mess up and I go on my little way, make my point, then I got to live in this relationship with the Holy Ghost the rest of the day. Is anybody? Is that just me, or is that anybody else in the room? Got to live with the Holy Ghost. You, I mean, He maybe forgives you in a second, but He doesn't let you forget it for a day. Somebody doesn't. I'm not sure who's pulling those punches. So it's usually at these inconvenient times. Now each time Paul had to change plans. Paul did not force the doors open. The Lord opened the doors. That's very important. Very, very important. But when the Lord opens the door, for some reason, we didn't think of it, and we don't like it. That's one way you can know it was the Lord. Christ held the keys that opened the doors. Now, let's move on quickly here. Now, in Colossians 4, 3, it says, Paul encouraged praying that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak uh, the mystery of Christ. He said that. I just read it in 4, 3. While we should not try to force doors open, we see that we can pray for God to open them. Nothing wrong with that. Philadelphia was a strategic location. Uh, 
The location created a wonderful opportunity for ministry. And a lot of times God does that when we're changing jobs and the like. Please don't focus on it's just so you can get a raise. There is a benefit sometimes. But God has a purpose when He opens doors. That's what I want you to take away from this. Are you aware that the Lord is perhaps opening doors of ministry for you? Now, as we move on to this other part of the Scripture here in Revelation 3, He says, you have little strength. You see that? I want you to look, read that with me. Look at verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Okay, they got an open door. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, you have little strength. Does that not look out of place? Does that, does that not look just a little, well, why didn't he... He just bragged on him. Said he opened him a door so he must kind of like him and trust him. But he says, You got a little strength. Have kept my. He put, You have a little strength in there with you kept my word and have not denied my name. So that was just so, so odd to me. Well, that's what we prophetically got to view the scripture on what's happening here. It seems they are growing tired of their service to the Lord. It almost seems to look like a problem. The Lord Himself has told them that He will keep their door of opportunity of opened, even though they have a little strength. He said, I'm, I'm going to keep the door open. He says, there, see, I have set you a door and it's open. <clears throat> then He goes on to say this, You have a little strength is the key to their success. It has never been man's strength, but the strength of Christ. Is that not amazing? He put, you have a little strength in there with it. You kept my word and not blaspheme my name. So you have little, in other words, they understood they had little strength. They understood the strength of the church of Philadelphia was they knew it was the strength of Christ and not them. And it's amazing in church how we, especially when we, we try to get into exercising the gifts of the Spirit, for somehow or another we get into our strength. Can, is anybody identifying with what I'm trying to say? I mean, it's just a human uh, reaction. But the church of Philadelphia didn't ever forget. He put that in there with their pluses. You, have a little, you had a little strength. All right. And, uh, so in 2 Corinthians, it says this. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See that? Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. So we're seeing a, a part of the mystery of Christ. He says he preaches about the mystery. Here's part of that mystery. He says you had a little strength. That's humility. They knew that it wasn't in them. In other words, they didn't brag on themselves. Can you hear that? They didn't have to brag. They didn't try to be noticed because they knew if they were noticed, they had nothing to give because they were of little strength. When you're of little strength, it doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you're sorry. It doesn't mean you're even burnt out. It just means you have the revelation. You have a revelation. You have a revelation. So he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So as we see him combine that with grace, 
Grace means here that God gives you the power of a truth that you ain't it. And that takes grace because it could hurt your feelings. But it's grace which gives you power to receive the truth, which it's all about Christ. So as we come into this church house, we try very hard not to have a main player. It's done on purpose here. In worship, somebody, visitors come, they don't know who the worship leader is. You can't figure it out. Well, we know that Karen's leading it behind the scenes, but then every song, everybody leads their own song. Same way in the pulpit ministry. We work very hard, and there again, and Trevor will be coming teaching some more on who's in charge here. We work very hard with this idea that in our weaknesses, he is made strong. So therefore, we're not going to give this pseudo, this idea that we got these four or five strong people, and they're going to minister the presence of Christ. That is not the idea here. The idea here is that we're all weak. Because we recognize that, the presence of Christ can be in the scene, on the, in the house, in our worship, in the Word. Now to us, that's not just trying to be nice. To us, that's not an option. It is what we are trying to abide to. Now, let's move on. Paul understood his weakness was not an obstacle because it was not about Paul, but Christ. If you're sitting here and you say, well, Alan, I'm sure, well, I mean, we all feel weak. I stand up here every week. You still feel, you still feel weak. You feel like you don't have what the Lord wants you to give. You might entertain a thought, well, if I could just stand up here and preach, I'd feel like I could, I'd feel fulfilled. Uh, no, nah, you won't. I can give you a report on that one. You still feel weak. Now let's look at what he says here going back to the scripture. He says, have kept my word. You see that? And has not denied my name. Now what is going on with this one? We live in a day where God's word and name are mocked and denied. Christ acknowledged their faithfulness to the word and the fact that they always upheld who he was. This indicates that many have left the Word because he pointed out that they had that. The removal of God's Word is the downfall of any person or nation. That's what he was showing here. What has happened to America is through all of our accomplishments, we fail to the idea that we were the strongest nation in the world not the weakest nation, but defended by Christ himself. As a nation, we have fallen. And our falling has been because we thought we were something in our great strength. And we have forgotten why we have this appearance of being strong. I submit that to you. Now as we move on here, they were faithful not only to the word of the Lord, but unto the Lord himself. He says you're not, they were faithful to the word, but they also were faithful to the Lord. 
The church of Philadelphia would not worship Caesar or participate in other forms of idolatry no matter what the outcome. Now, if we look in 2 Kings 22, uh, King, 2 Kings 22 recounts the story of Joshua. You all know the story quickly. The scripture tells us that Joshua was a godly king who sought, sought to follow God. You all remember he, I think he was ordained king at seven. seven. And then I think it was 18, 17, 16, 17, 18, he discovered uh, he wanted to rebuild the temple. It was in disarray. When he assumed the throne, uh, the book of the law was missing. As soon as Joshua heard the law, uh, then he tore his clothes because he knew his people were in trouble. Y'all remember the story. It says this in 2 Kings 22, 13. Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people of for all Judea, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Now he had enough sense to know that. Because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. Josiah knew deep within him that they were in trouble. The Lord was very upset with Judah. Now I feel that deep within me. I feel like we're in trouble. That's what I feel. <laughs> That's all I can say. But I feel his pain. God recognized uh, Josiah's repentance and the Lord promised him personal peace, but it was too late for the nation. That's the rest of the story. My question is, is it too late for America? I pray not. Go on in verse 9. Behold, I will make them the synagogue of Satan. Now this one's interesting. We'd say they are Jews and are not. Now, I'm going to give you a little something to consider here this morning. Which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So we got something going on here. He's saying it's a crowd that says they're Jews, but they're not. But somehow or another, they're going to be there worshiping with them. <laughs> So you're like, okay, what, what could this mean? I'll show you what I think it means. It says, Behold, I will make them the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, and do lie. Watch it. So here in the city of Philadelphia, Jesus refers to this Jewish opposition as the synagogue of Satan. Now, stay with me. I'm going to show you my next one. Don't jump the boat. Replacement theology says there are no Jews today, but only the church. I believe that scripture is referring to replacement theology, which has been in the church for 1,500 years. Well, close to 2,000 years, really. What's replacement theology? Replacement theology is that the Jews don't matter anymore. God's done away with the Jews, and the church has taken the place of the Jews. So therefore, when you read the word Jew, he's referring to church. That's what it means. Now, just follow me here. The notion that the church has replaced Israel is an act of, somebody say it? It's an act of that, of anti-Semitism, which creates a false Jew. Which we're saying, some are saying that the church replaces the Jews. That's a false Jew. Uh 
anti-Semitism is hostility or prejudice towards or discrimination against Jews. A person who holds such position is called, uh, is called an anti-Semite. Now, I want you to see something. Behold, I will make them to come to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, I might stretch you here a little bit, but it appears that these are believers and will be there to worship. They can be saved even though their end time eschatology is incorrect. It's going to be a crowd of people who say, now you got to understand this is the Church of Philadelphia. I know the time period it is. It's in our time period. But also, I also know something else. Just because your end time theology is incorrect doesn't mean that you can't be saved. But there is going to be a crowd of people also that I think it comes out of this group and he says, Lord, Lord. And he says, I never knew you. But there's other ones of this group that's going to be there to worship. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, Alan, it's just difference in theology. Now, here's where we get a little, it's in the end times, it makes a difference. We like to allow for everybody's theology. I understand that. I get all that. I do the same thing. But some of it has greater consequences than others. Let me give you an example here. Antisemitism is the reason of Hitler's success in exterminating the Jews. The church was embracing replacement theology, saying that God had replaced the Jew, and therefore he had no need of them. Can anybody see a bad side effect of replacement theology? No need of the Jews. So the church sat there, yeah, Hitler, yeah, we do. We are now the spiritual Jews. So the church did not get upset when the Jews in Germany were killed. That's, I mean, it's terrible. I'm just telling you, your theology can make a difference, especially in end-time behavior. And here is part of... Now you, so you've got to ask yourself, we like to blame Hitler, but the church is the one that was silent. We might like to blame the transistor today, as the old farmer called him. We might try to like to blame the homosexual and transvestite. We might like to blame them, but not understanding it's on our watch. Because we're quiet. Well, the church is not to enter these things. Well, suit yourself. Now, so here we see what happens with replacement theology. And y'all know the story. Let me move quickly. God will never forget Israel. Isaiah 43, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Uh, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the waters they shall not overflow thee, when thou walkest through the fire. And it goes on. And then another part of Isaiah, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee therefore. So in, in this verse, it goes on to say how God will never forsake Israel. So now it goes in. To, uh, we got a thing going on now with Mike Bickle. He has, uh, and it started, I think, two days ago. He called uh, what? May 7th. Oh, May seventh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is yeah. This is the end of April. Yeah. 
Well, what he did something last week. I guess the reason I said that is I read something started about a week ago, but I think it was preparations for the fast. But uh, Isaiah 62 Global, it's called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, begins May 7th through the 28th. Uh, you can sign up is what it was. They had different hubs that they were taking applications for. Now, I, I, I went to the end of this verse in Isaiah. Until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, God is going to do that. Amen. That is going to happen. And there's a, there's a problem here. It's Isaiah 62, 6 through 7, which says, Fast, Mike Bickle's leading. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You will make mention of the Lord. Do not keep silent. And give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Isn't that something? This fast that Mike Bickles felt led, and I think uh, Lou Engel and quite a few, I think I got just a little more on it here. Um, that's the, the uh, webpage, Isaiah62fast.com, if you'd like to write that down. It's a collaboration of several thousand ministries, including Lou Engel, Jason Hubbard, Mike Bickle, are calling one million believers to participate in a global solemn assembly. Uh, to fast in various ways and to pray for the Lord's purposes for Israel and to ask Him to raise up 100 million. Do you all know that's a lot of people? And, and they're well on their way to that already. Uh, intercessors for Israel according to His promise in Isaiah 62, 6 to sovereignly set, appoint, or mark intercessors who will remain, remind the Lord of His promises for Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus' return, Isaiah 62.6, is an end-time promise that is now escalating across the earth. And He is now exercising this, and I encourage you to go to Isaiah62fast.com, and you can get in on this uh, if you would like. We're going to verse 10. He says, Because you have kept my command uh, to persevere, I will also keep you in the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I want to cover a lot of territory. The promise to the church is specifically that it is to be delivered from the hour of trial. Do you see that? Now, it says, you'll, it says to the church of Philadelphia, it says, I will deliver you from the hour of trial. I am a pre-tribulation rapture guy, and I give a little pun, give or take six or seven years. But this is one reason that I am a pre-tribulation guy. Actually, the word is not from, but out of, uh, to be delivered out of, not just uh, the trial, but out of the very time of the trial. You see that? From the very hour of the trial, he says it, that this will happen to them. This is one of the clearest promises in the Bible of the catching away of the church before the great tribulation uh, begins. Out of means to be delivered out of the trial, the hour of the trial. The word, the Greek word, is removal out of. So, uh, anyway, that's just some of it. Now, I wanted this, but here's where I'm headed. Much of the prophetic movement does not recognize the rapture of the church. Why? Because the church was age was a secret and a mystery hidden in God. Now, just listen to me. The prophetic movement sees themselves as professionals in prophecy. That's what the prophetic movement is. Just so happens the mystery of the church is not in prophecy. So therefore that whole camp just says that they just skip right over it. They don't see or embrace the mystery. 
And I asked the Lord, I mean, it's been a couple of years ago now. So I said, well, why do my friend, why, how do they just skip? What's the deal? They, and, and so the, the Lord spoke to us, said they don't see the mystery. They're all about prophecy. And I got it. They are all about prophecy. But the church age, the church is about mystery. That's the reason Paul said he was going to go teach the mystery of Christ. It's part of, it's part of the mystery. There is, there is a distinction. You got to understand, prophecy does not include mystery as far as being told. But mystery includes prophecy. Now, let me go on a little more. I'll give you a little more understanding on this, hopefully. There again, remember, it's up to you to have comprehension, not me. Okay. Mystery and prophecy. Mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. It is hidden. Prophecy is something that has been told will happen. A prediction uh, is easily understood. So therefore, the prophetic movement, they tend to be their strength is prophecy. It, it, it is. Their strength is not mystery. I mean, test it. How many people in the prophetic movement are known to lead many to Christ? Their biggest weakness is evangelism. Why? They believe it's all in prophecy. Evangelism comes out of the mystery. It's the blood atonement of Christ, the cross of Christ to forgive all sins. They, they believe that, but they're not into that. I mean, just look around is all you got to do. I don't have to. Okay. Well, maybe. Okay. Let me stop. Much of the prophetic movement is strong in prophecy, but weak in mystery. Now, Ephesians 3 says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me this mystery as I wrote, a four and a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So there's something talked about here called the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now you got to understand something. I don't have time to teach it here, but the, the, the prophets got the message of Paul after the fact. And then Peter come along and said, hey, we got to listen to Paul. What he's saying in Scripture, he said he's got the signs of an apostle. But Paul is the one that came along and saying, there's no difference in Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. That doesn't work in a Jewish synagogue, somebody. It doesn't work. So just make a distinction. There's a distinction in the mystery and in prophecy. The mystery, there is what we call a parenthesis in the and the prophecy of Joel, Acts 2. The last part of Joel's prophecy has not happened yet. First part has. You have in scriptures, God does it all the time. Book of Revelation is full of it. Call it a parenthesis. He stops time and God sticks in something that you didn't know was coming. And that's what the church is. It's a secret. Think about it. We know that the death of Christ is in a prophecy. We know the revelation of Jesus having to die had not been given. There's one thing to have it written, and there's another thing to have it revealed. 
The apostle said, Jesus, no, let this be removed from you. He said, don't you know what the scripture says? He said, no, 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 don't do this. So it can be hidden in scripture, but not revealed. Do you think really that Satan would have entered Judas Iscariot, denied him, do you really think that Satan would have done that if he would have known that the death of Christ was the atonement of all sin? Nobody knew the scriptures better than Satan because it was written in prophecy. Satan knows prophecy, but he didn't know mystery. You got to see that. If you don't, you're going to be very confused. The age and time we're living in right now this last 2,000 years has been a parenthesis in prophecy. It's a secret. We're a mystery. Bond or free, male or female, all of a sudden you can even have a woman preacher. How do you do that? Because of the mystery. Male or female. Bond or free. We're all sitting in here together. The men aren't at the front. The women's not at the back. If you weren't a Jew, you had to sit on the back row. You were a proselyte. You couldn't even come into the assembly. We're sitting in here together. Jew, Gentile, bond free, all nationalities. This is not prophecy. You're experiencing mystery. It's called freedom in the cross of Christ. And God says it's in this mystery that he revealed his full purpose. But now he's made, and he says in uh, Romans 11, 11, blindness in part has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Fullness of the Gentiles. Prophecy meant the Gentiles were to come through the Jewish nation. Prophecy. Gentile, uh, Jews give the gospel of God to the world. Gentiles come through the nation Israel. Romans 11, 11, God set them aside. They've been blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So what's happening today is not prophecy, it's mystery. God had this time called the fullness of the Gentiles. That's not in prophecy. It's not there. It's all about the Jewish nation. And that's the reason today we have people trying to mix Jewish nation with the Gentiles, there's not Jew nor Gentile today. Can somebody say amen? There's not Jew or Gentile. We're called a one new man. We're being prepared as a bride. And I'll not get into the bride. Let's stand. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, I... You know our deal, Lord, if it's anything that I've said is not of you, I pray that it'll fall to the ground and these people will overlook me. But if there's anything I've said is of you, I pray, oh God, it'll be quickened to our hearts that we might rise up a people that understands it's not about us, but it sure is about you, and we're going to tell the world it's about you. There's nobody here, God, any special, more special than another, but we're all very special because you're in us. Your heart's in us. All of us here are weak in our own strength. 
that we're powerful because you walk with us and in us. Let us always submit to your presence in our lives, O oh God. Let us understand the privilege of the time we're living in. Let us take advantage of it. Let us preach the cross of Christ. Let us be evangelists to bring people into the body. I thank you, O oh God, for all your many blessings. Yes, Lord, I thank you for the prophetic movement. I love have many friends in it. And I think they're being faithful to their message. But Lord, let us be faithful to our message. That the gospel of the grace of God might go to the ends of the earth. Be with us as our prayer as we worship you. And the church house said, amen and amen. Thank you.